probably noticed one of the big topics of conversation in Australia over the last couple of decades really is houses, property, land, you know, and how we build and invest in properties. It's something that we talk about all the time. You know, we pay attention in the news very clearly to know whether properties, uh, house prices are rising or whether they're falling and what that means for people, uh, where the best place is to invest, you know, how do you get into the market as a first home buyer, all, all these conversations, you know, and we all know that we have to take a lot of care about this and spend time in deciding, you know, when we buy and when we sell. So I want you to imagine how, how you would feel contemplating buying a property while Melbourne was surrounded by a large invading army. Uh, how might that change your decisions? You know, what would that do to your the quality of the investment that you might be making, or the likelihood that the bank would give you a mortgage under those circumstances? Um, and that's a situation that Jeremiah found himself in uh, in this later section that we just read of his story and his prophetic ministry. Now, Jeremiah's a long book. We've been working on it for over eight weeks now, and it's the longest book in the Bible. And the early parts of Jeremiah are mostly filled with his words and his sermons and the messages that he brought to uh, over many years. And those messages he gave to his nation were based around his conviction that these people, the nation of Judah, and especially the city of Jerusalem in the time, were headed towards a time of destruction because of their failure um, as a nation, and that they had lost God and his heart and failed each other as well. Uh, and in this series, for those who haven't been here, we've been describing through Jeremiah what it looks like for a community for a nation and for God's people to go into a period of decline and to experience that kind of failure. And this is what Jeremiah was addressing. You know, and what they had to do in that time was to face this and understand why it had happened and how to respond to it. So that's what the book of Jeremiah is about. In the last third of the book, though, there's a lot more of the story of Jeremiah's actual life, you know, particularly what happened to him in the time just before and just after Jerusalem was conquered by the, Babylon, uh, by the Babylonians and the people there went into exile in Babylon. Now, one of the things I think you might notice if you look at your, your life is when things go wrong, often there's a sort of slow uh, process by which things get kind of worse a bit over time. And at the end, there's a kind of sometimes a quick and catastrophic collapse. You know, for instance... Um, your car, you know, we drive it, can we be wearing out gradually, and we notice it's not handling as well for a while, but it gets us where we're going day to day. But then one day, the brakes fail, you know, off the road, crash, you know. So things go wrong quite quickly at the end. And as Jeremiah gets to the end of his story, this is what happens in his country. Things are getting worse and worse at a quicker and quicker pace as the exile approaches. Everything's going wrong. Everything looks bad. And it's in the midst of that time, and on one of the occasions when the Babylonians were surrounding the city of Jerusalem in a siege, that this story happens when Jeremiah buys a piece of land, which we heard. Um, at the time, as we heard, he was imprisoned by the king, Zedekiah, because he had told Zedekiah that the Babylonians were going to defeat him, rather than giving the king the comforting message that he wants. And so Jeremiah's in prison, he's being ignored, it's a low point for him. It's not quite his lowest point not the lowest he ever got. It's probably a few chapters later when we read of the time when the king threw him into this um, empty water cistern in the ground and he was bogged in the mud for a couple of days before he had to get pulled out. So that was his lowest point, but this is not a good point for him either. The whole time wasn't really a great time for Jeremiah because he's been warning people for years about what's going to happen, that they would face devastation because of their failure and they hadn't listened to him and now he actually has to see it start to happen in front of him. And the king is still ignoring him and taking time to punish him for pointing out what's happening right in front of his very eyes. 
And so it's right then that the word of the Lord comes to him and he's told his uncle is willing to sell him a field and that he should buy it. And we hear Jeremiah's own words here as he goes into quite a bit of detail about this particular uh, business uh, transaction, about this piece of property. You know, for instance, we even know how much he paid for it, 17 shekels of silver. I have no idea if that's a lot of money or not for a field outside Anatoth at the time. It was probably a buyer's market, so he probably got a good deal. Um, you know, he, so he pays this money and he makes it clear that it's a very public purchase. It's done in a thorough way. You know, he signs the deed, he seals it up. There's lots of witnesses to see it. He weighs out the silver correctly to make sure that everything's been done transparently. So the field is definitely his. So it's, that's the point of that kind of detail, I think. And he makes two copies of the deed of purchase. You know, one's sealed, so you, so you can't read it, and again, it's safe, and the other is, isn't, so you can read it. And both of those copies he gives to Baruch, who comes up a lot. He's sort of Jeremiah's secretary. And Baruch is to seal them in a clay jar so that they can be kept for a very long time. So why, what's he, why is he doing this? What's going on here? Fortunately, it's not an obscure prophetic act. He tells us and explains why he's going to buy this field. In verse 15, he says, For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So what's happening here is Jeremiah is engaging in a symbolic action to demonstrate his confidence in the reality of God's promise that the people of Judah will be brought back from exile one day. And we talked about this last week, the promises that God made of restoration, a new covenant and a new life that Jeremiah received from God. And so this act of buying the field is a concrete symbol for the people who witnessed it of Jeremiah's trust that this is going to happen. Because it says that a time will come on the other side of this war and our exile and all that time when the nation will be restored again. That's a time when you can buy a field, you can buy a house or a vineyard in Judah again and you'll be able to keep it. Uh, and so to invest in that hope by buying this field now, as Jeremiah does, is an act of faith in what God's going to do. And of course, it's not for his own benefit. Jeremiah wouldn't see the benefit of this investment. Um, he won't live to see it. Um, the exile was going to last for 70 years, and so Jeremiah would be dead by the time they came home. But he acts as though this is a good investment. It's an act of faith for his family and for those who will come after him. So it's quite clear, I think, what this passage in Jeremiah is about. It's about faith in the promises and goodness of God. And what I want us to ask today, how does this speak to us about some of the practical ways that we live out our faith today, if we're followers of Jesus? What does it mean for us to trust in God, to believe in this promise of goodness of God and his love towards the world, um, and to hope in Jesus Christ and to show that in practical ways, in concrete ways that we live, including the things in which we invest ourselves in right now? Um, so we're very familiar with the language and the practice of investment in Australia today. Everyone seems to be an investor of some kind. Um, we know what it means to be investors. So as an investor, we put part of what we have, you know, our own financial resources, and we put it into something, say a piece of land or someone else's business that we think is going to do well or the stock market or a valuable item that we think is going to hold its value. And we put in our, we invest in that because we believe in the long term this investment will produce more of a return than we put in. Uh, and Jeremiah shows that it's actually possible for us to invest ourselves in God, in God's promises and in God's kingdom, and to actually do that in practical ways. Uh, and, and I think he encourages us that as followers of Jesus, we're called to give of ourselves and to invest into things that are not just about financial growth and security, which we all know about, but also things that are signs of the hope that we have that God is going to do things in the world. 
and to trust that this investment will be safe with God even through difficult times when it looks like it's not. So Jeremiah's example of buying this field is important for us um, because we know that it's easy when we're feeling that things aren't going very well, uh, when we're under threat, the future's insecure, that we don't invest, we, don't, we hold on to what we have or we look for very safe things, we don't take a risk. And I think, you know, not many people apart from Jeremiah would have been investing in property in Jerusalem at that time um, because the Babylonians, of course, could come in and just tear up anyone's deed of sale that they wanted once, once they took over the country. Uh, and take the land for themselves. So that would be a terrible investment. So the question is, what can we actually invest and invest in that shows that we are, if we trust in God, not captive to that kind of fear and that we do trust in God's purposes? What does it mean to invest in the kingdom of God? And I think it means to invest ourselves in things that can only, as Jeremiah did, that can only bring about a result if God is actually present and active in the world for good. So to invest in the kingdom of God is to make an investment that can only pay off if God produces the result that he's promised. It's common in the church. We talk about, we think about what do we invest. We talk about three kinds of resources that God gives us to invest in, the, in life. Uh, invest in various things. So our time, our talent, and our treasure. So some of the resources that we have include our time. You know, so we have the hours of our days the years of our lives that we've been given and the precious energy and attention that we have to use in that time. And so we have, that's a resource we have. Our talent would be the, the abilities, perhaps the gifts, the opportunities that God's given us, things we're capable of doing well and things that um, are particular to us. And the treasure, of course, is our finances and our other possessions that we've worked for or people have given us to use. And I think that if we are to have trust in God... And as followers of Jesus, we are called to invest our time, our talent, and our treasure into the good of God's world, into the development of other people, into our development of our community, and for the good of the world as a whole. And to do that, whether or not we can see there will be any result for it, any return on our investment. And that's important. For, you know, so, for instance, so we may invest our time in, in someone. We spend time with someone who's struggling, who needs encouragement, who's not doing well. And that's an investment that can be hard to see. Often people don't seem to change when we invest in them. But it's an investment that we believe can pay off because God is journeying with that person as well. And God has a plan for their life. And we're investing in that plan. Our treasure, you know, the money that we give, say when we give to charity, you know, that's not something we get back. It's, but it's more than just a tax write-off. It actually can be an investment in the fact that God is working in the world for good. God loves people, and if we invest in them, he will work with that um, and help them experience that love. And, you know, the investment of our talent, you know, the investment of our gifts into something like the mission of the church, as we've prayed for people today who are going and investing their time and their gifts in the mission of the church. That's an investment in the, in, in the hope that God will use what we bring and what we do to change people's lives and to transform them. Okay? in places like Cambodia and East Timor and in Emerald in the Hills. And the thing is, without hoping God, all those investments can seem a bit too risky and, and people stop doing them. Uh, one of the sad things I've heard recently is that as time has gone on, Australians are getting less and less generous in terms of giving to charity. Um, over the years, the percentage of people who give to others regularly in our country is decreasing. We're still a very generous nation, but we're less generous than we used to be. And that's not because we're poor. We're wealthier than we've ever been. 
But from the Jeremiah would say it's because we're losing our hope, perhaps, in the fact that if we invest in other people and in their good, that it will pay off and have a result, rather than investing in ourselves, which we know will. And at the heart of that is what Jeremiah would see in his own nation, a lack of trust in God and his goodness to say that he will guarantee a return on your investment if you invest in his kingdom and and the good of others. So Jesus' parable of the talents, which many of you know, may speak to this idea from the point of uh, view of God, of how we use what he's given us. And you can read about that in Matthew chapter 23. So Jesus tells a parable about uh, a master of a house. Sorry, if you could pop back there, Graham. Um, a master of a house who went away and he gave his servants uh, various sums of money to invest on him, invest on his behalf. Now, it's confusing because a talent is also a a sum of money, anyway. Um, And he wanted them to invest some money on his behalf for when he returned. Now, some of them did invest it and they got a good return on that. But there was one who was afraid of losing it and he kind of locked it away in a box or hid hid it in the ground. So he wouldn't lose it but he wouldn't gain anything extra either. And when the master returns, he's quite upset by this servant because he's, he's used this talent for nothing. He just buried it in the ground. And I think one interpretation of this parable of Jesus is the idea that for us to take our talents, you know, and our time and our treasure, and not to invest them in God's kingdom is to waste them and bury them away where they can't be used. Uh, even if, to us, the things we're doing with our life is seeing great personal benefit and return on the investment we're making in our own lives, if we're not actually producing any benefit from God's perspective, we're wasting what has been given us. It's being locked away from his kingdom. And Jesus has the master in that, in that story say to this disobedient servant, you know, because you haven't invested what I've given you wisely, I'm going to take away everything that you have. You haven't used what I've given you for, for, for what it was for. So it's an odd perspective for us to say, you know, when you keep things, Jesus is saying, when you keep things for ourselves, when we keep them to ourselves, we lose them. When we give them away, we receive the return on them. It's counterintuitive to us, but that's what Jesus taught, and that's how God's kingdom works. So it's worth for us to think about what is it that we are doing with the time and the talent and the treasure that we have that God's given us? What are we investing in now? How does that show faith in what God's doing in the world and what he will do? Particularly, it's important to think about that if we're living in a time as we are, I think now, when, like Jeremiah and his field, you know, we might not see the benefits of what we invest in, in our own lifetimes, if we invest in the kingdom of God. One of the struggles we have as the church in Australia at the moment is that we are in some ways entering this kind of exile time, like the people of Judah and Babylon, when we're, we're sort of alienated from the culture as a whole. Um, we're not at peace, perhaps, with the way things are around us, and things are a bit hard. Uh, for the Christian church in our country. And so our influence is limited. And so anything that we invest in the mission of the church now in this time, our effort, our money, our mission, our, in a time, our talents, it's unlikely that we're going to see strong outcome for, on that for many years and perhaps over generations before actually those things pay off. And so the same, and the same thing applies to some of our efforts and things like improving the justice of Australia and the way we treat each other and the welfare of our nation and long-term things like the sustainability of our environment and and this. Um, The outcome of our investments in those areas of God's kingdom might be seen beyond the time frames of our own lives. You know, we may see nothing of the things we invest in that before we die, in the same way that Jeremiah did. And in the meantime, things might be tough. So that's the, that's the, that's the, the test that God's people have about what they invest and how they trust in him. 
But so if that's true that we don't, we might not see the result of our investment, can we still behave, though, as though we have trust in God and hope in his presence in the world and his promises to us? Because we have his promise that that hope is real and we should have, and we are given the experience that it is. Because we're not the only ones who are investing in the world. God isn't just asking us to invest in his kingdom. Jesus shows us that God has actually invested his treasure in us as well. So God has put in, you know, God has invested his treasure in us. Now, you may have you heard in the story, Jeremiah was called to seal away his deed of purchase for the field in a clay jar so that it could be kept. Now, those of you who are familiar with the New Testament may have heard another reference to clay jars ringing in your mind there. Um, I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. And Paul's talking about in this letter to this church, um, what does it mean, what is it like to suffer for Jesus um, as a frail, normal person? So he says to these people, For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the light of the glory of God's God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. There's the jars of clay again. So what Paul is saying is that God invests his glory in the world into people like us. We are like jars of clay, we're easily broken, we're not very impressive at times, but because of God's trust, we carry in us the hope of the world, because through Jesus, God invests his glory, his spirit in human beings. God has actually trusted that human beings will eventually, with his spirit, work out the kingdom and carry out God's work of the kingdom in the world, and that one day the world will be restored like Judah was. And the clay jars carry that hope as they did for Jeremiah. Uh, One day, the investment of the Holy Spirit in these jars of clay will pay off that God has made. And so if God is willing to invest in us, as he is, and we've celebrated that today, he's invested in Benjamin, invested in Chris, and all of us who've trusted in him, we can then invest with confidence in the kingdom and each other. uh, Because God the Father himself guarantees that investment. You can trust him. As Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we know where God's treasure is. It's in us. And he's put it in our hearts. And so we need to ask ourselves today, where is our treasure? And where are we putting our heart and our hope. So let me pray as we reflect on that this morning. God, our Father, we today thank you for the investment that you have made in this creation, in human beings, that you have put in us your glory through Jesus Christ. We pray that we would... um, carry that investment well and, and that you would have a return in the actions we, get, we make. We pray that you would encourage us all to invest in the kingdom of God and to look for opportunities uh, to do your good and to trust in you that you will bring the, the results that you want. So I pray that all of us would be challenged to use our time, our talents and our treasure in your service. And so we pray as we go out from here you'd show us more about how to do this. In Jesus' name. Amen.